if you like betting on golf. But everyone that you back misses the cut, get some experts involved. With all the stats and the tips and so much more, cause it's the golf betting system, the golf betting system, it's the golf betting system. Greetings and welcome to the Golf Bank System Podcast 167. This is our 2021 Charles Swab Challenge Plus Made in Himalayan Tips and Selections episode. Paul Williams and Barry O'Hanrahan join me, Steve Bamford, to discuss this week's PGA and t- European Tour action. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Morning, guys. I'm sure we'll discuss the PGA Championship as well. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. You can visit begambleaware.org for more information. And of course, please bet responsibly. Visit our world-famous golf betting system website with our in-depth betting previews, masses of tournament statistics, and our predictor models, all available, completely free of charge with no paywall. We are now doing, Paul, is this correct, a weekly strokes gained per tournament analysis sheet as well, aren't we? Um, yeah, we're... we're we can do that. So where there is uh, where it's been played yeah. on one course and makes sense. Yes. Where there's yeah, where there's sufficient strokes gain data going back because we've got strokes gain data going back to 2016 for a lot of the uh, PGA Tour events. Nothing like the same on the European Tour, sadly. Yeah. But uh, but yes, when there is um, sufficient data. So Colonial this week's a good example. Uh, Muirfield Village next week's another one. Um, and then we're into yep. uh, there's a, there's another event after that, which is a new track, which um, which won't Clearly have any won't data. Be. So it will be a little bit patchy, but yes, we will endeavour to do that each week. So strokes gained across the whole field by individual skill sets. It's a, it's a really strong piece of analysis, completely free of charge at Golf Betting System. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast and drive the popularity of the show. We're available on Twitter. Barry's at a good talk golf. I'm at Bamford Golf. Paul is at Golf Betting. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. Plus, look out for the Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. Now, you guys as listeners, power this podcast. I'm going a few octaves lower here. So we need your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. As ever, for those of you who leave a review, I will read them out at the start of a future show. Leave your name and where you are in the review. Secondly, if you're in the growing band of YouTube listeners or viewers, I always, I I listen to so many podcasts actually on YouTube, but clearly you don't watch the screen. But anyway, please subscribe and like the show. Right. First one, entitled First Stop for Weekly Golf Advice. Five stars. This podcast, alongside their website, Golf Betting System, are my first stop in researching the upcoming week's golf event, He has the most accurate information, statistics and quotes from previous tournaments for which a lot of the golf pundit industry uses. I would highly recommend subscribing for anyone wanting to dip their toe into wagering on golf. And that is from Nick Mazzillion. And he is in Ohio in the United States of America. Thank you for that one, Nick. Lovely stuff. We're saying that people are plagiarising your work, Steve. I can't believe Imitation it. is the most serious form of flattery. <laughs> flattery, yeah. 
No, there is an awful lot of detail on there, and uh, I know a lot of people dip in and out of the various elements, but uh, it's good to, to know that the uh, the various elements that we do bring to the uh, bring to the fore each week are, are well well received. So thank you, Nick. Well, well, last week I was I was writing our US Open research preview whilst PGA Championship fever was happening. So I could kind of isolate myself by thinking through Torrey Pines and what we're going to be seeing in four weeks, only four weeks' time to the US Open. I've got another review here, informative and entertaining, five stars. These guys do a great job of preventing, uh, presenting detailed golf information and data while making it entertaining. The English and Irish hosts add tons of credibility. And their website has a lot of great information too. My only recommendation is I wish they covered betting head-to-head matchups. And that is from Smotty Yacht. And he is in the United States of America. The problem we have, Smotty Yacht, with head-to-heads is when we're pulling together the content for the podcast, and clearly the pod, uh, the website in general, which tends to be from Sunday afternoon through Monday with the tips that Paul and I place and put out, is there aren't any head-to-head matchup markets actually available. So I know that head-to-head betting is clearly very, very popular in the United States, and a lot of podcasts over there cover it, where we're kind of more tournament and first-round leader focused over here in the UK and Ireland. So it's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. There's, someone raised on Facebook to me yesterday that um, in the US you can also do top five, top ten, top twenty first-round leader betting as well now, which we don't oh. do over here. Um, no. And uh, you know, there, was, there was a request there if we could put out some thoughts and ideas on that. Um, as you said, it, the, the challenge is we're quite early in the cycle in terms of when we get our content out. So a lot of the um, additional markets and additional bets aren't available or, or we've simply not had the time to consider them. But uh, yeah, I don't know how we develop it in the future. Um, is It's an open book, really, isn't it? So yeah, keep your suggestions coming and uh, where we can develop and add stuff like the strokes gain data that we've added recently. We'll continue to do just that. Just to give, sorry, just to give our American and Canadian listeners a view, we're recording this uh, pre eight a.m. over here in the UK and Ireland, and currently over here we've only got tournament winner, first round leader, top five, top ten, and top twenty markets available to actually comment upon, and that's you know that's it's it would need to be something later on in the week for this kind of matchup um, content. That are a special request, along with a five-star review. Analyze <laughs> this matchup this week, you know, quid pro quo. Yeah, or maybe we do. We, we can do chargeable Zoom, a uh, live Zoom feeds. There you go. Steve, there Steve will go. suit up as well for extra money. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll do anything. I'll do anything for extra cash. I'll put. I'll put my pink tie on and my pink shirt. No problem at all. Should we talk PGA Championship? Why not? Let me just let me just run you through some interesting statistics about one Phil Mickelson. His sixth major win, seven years and ten months after his 2013 Open Championship victory. It was his 45th PGA Tour win at the age of 50. And so far in 2021, 
his best finish in a golf tournament on the main tour. He had a 20th on the Veterans Tour, was 21st at the Masters. I have him here uh, in my market printout from Monday morning at 250 to 1. Yeah, no, a lot longer. I saw something change. on Twitter. I saw something on Twitter about he drift, drifted out to three hundred. But yeah, yeah, incredible. I, it, was, uh, it was over five hundred in the exchange. The, the few, um, a few of the lads in our Facebook group who picked him up. Ken Banks was one of the one of the guys who picked him up at five hundred and fifty. So well done, Ken. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Well done, Ken. Um, and I think because oh, he, he started poorly, didn't he? He started. He was what two or three over par on the, 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 his first nine on Thursday. Um, he went out to a thousand. He was matched at a thousand on Betfair. Um, what a punt! What <laughs> a punt to just, even if it's just a couple of euro or a couple yeah. of pounds. Oh man! Yeah, because he, he recovered, didn't he? By the end of Thursday, he was back to two under seventy. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, aside from the fact that um, you know mine and um, yours, Steve, best chance going into Sunday was Gary Woodland do. Got himself right into the mix and then uh, then folded like a like a cheap suit. After that, it was just a, a joy to watch Lefty uh, do what he did. Really, really pleased for him and uh, impressive stuff. When you're kind of watching history in the making, it's it's hard not to. Well, it almost took away the pain of Gary Woodland's total and utter collapse. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say he was trading at ten to one when he was two under through three or four yeah, holes? Yeah, he was four under at one point, so he was what yeah. two or three? I think he was two off the lead at that point. He was ten to one, standing on the tee of the par five, um, stuck it in the bunker, made a real mess of the approach from there, took a double, and then uh, it was just a hemorrhage of shots after. He was ten to one at that point. And within in about half an hour, he was out to a thousand to one, which told you exactly what had happened to his game. And uh, yeah, even even the, the, own... the chance of getting a, 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 an each way place at that point it just evaporated, didn't it? Phil had been trending. There was absolutely no chance that I'd have picked him pre-event. But I'm just looking at my Quail Hollow preview from a couple of weeks ago, and. I finding within my uh, eight-week trackers, Phil Mickelson in a tie for eighth for strokes gained approach in that field uh, with Keegan Bradley. And if you look at greens in regulation numbers, and I'm talking about Phil Mickelson here, he was in eighth place for greens in regulation over the previous eight weeks of action prior to Quail Hollow. And then if you remember... Didn't he? Wasn't he first round leader? He went absolutely nuts in the first round at Quail Hollow, didn't he? Yeah, did you? Yeah, and shot sixty three or something to be first round leader. And then after so there that, was there was there yeah. was bits and bobs there, wasn't there? You, you could have I, if you'd gone to our first round leader stats for the week, then he topped that. And had he had an, a morning tea time, I would have put him up for first round leader. I'd have backed him first round leader on Thursday. Because um, he was one of the shortlisted players that I'd uh, put out for that, but he didn't. He had an afternoon seat time. I left him alone, um, mm. and uh, you know, as I say, he started poorly, didn't he? And then uh, then recovered from there. Uh, but yeah, there was there were little little signs that uh, you know, if you, if you can take that one round in isolation and extrapolate it out, and uh, you know, add a bit of fairy dust or whatever you need to do to make it work from there, then all good. 
But yeah, well done. Anyone who backed him, there's some, some juicy big tickets I saw on, on Twitter as well, uh, especially over in the US where people backing him for hundreds of dollars and getting back tens of thousands, which uh, is some impressive stuff. Well, look, looking back, the course played far tougher than I thought it would. Um, the Windfinder wind reports early on that week were crap, really. Effectively, they like tripled in wind strength. Oh, well, see, uh, now, what, they were going to be. Hold on a second. I think they're they're dead right, but it's an exposed course and a links on a links course or a coastal course. Whatever the wind strength is, you may as well effectively double it for how it plays. So I don't think they were a million miles off, Steve. Um, the, num- the numbers were wrong. Play- they were playing wrong. Cause because when I was pulling all the data together, they were saying 8 to 10 mile an hour winds. And the I think the Sunday was going to be tough. Yeah. And I mean, then all of, su- all of a sudden, that had doubled to 20, gust- 18 gusting 20. But so looking at, di- yes. looking at different weather like models, they were all a bit uh, flummoxed as to the strength. They were all different in what they were saying. So, I mean, it's I, I suppose it's just one thing I always bear in mind. Like, whatever you see in the forecast for a coastal golf course that I'm going to play, I, I effectively go, okay, that's going to be it playing at least double that strength. Um, no matter what the number is, it's just got more torque or something like that in the wind. It's just It's just one of those vagaries of coastal golf. Um, I thought the setup was absolutely brilliant. It allowed guys to make or enabled guys to make birdies if they were and eagles if they were hitting really good shots, and it punished them properly when they didn't hit uh, good shots. It's just it's a fantastic setup. It made for really exciting golf. Absolutely horrific to um, sweat your bets because you knew disaster could happen at any moment. But uh, from from an entertainment point of view, like, uh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, there were lots of uh, doubles and trebles out there, weren't there, which uh, mm. say were kind of lurking around every corner. But uh, No, I, I, I agree 100%. It was um, a fantastic setup. And um, aside from the technicalities, aside from the website and the app and the scoring and uh, the TV coverage and all those other aspects. <laughs> aside from all of those really <laughs> big, important things. Yeah. yeah, aside from all of that, the uh, the actual course itself did a fantastic job of um, trying to redeem those poor elements, which uh, which were a shame, really. They, they detracted from it. started, Barry, but there was some... There was some... No, 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 I know, I know. I, I, like, I, I'd love to rant for a while and I... Th- but I'd say a lot of people feel the same if they know if they even noticed if they noticed it. It was uh, there was a lot of stuff that was out of sync, not being shown live. Bet three six five shot tracker was minutes minutes ahead of the TV coverage or the shots they were showing on TV and the leaderboards. And and the, obviously, let's not even start about the PGA Championship app. Like that thing can just go and burn and up hell, uh, absolute travesty. But. It's just it's frustrating when you know there's thing when there's things happening and you're not being shown it. Um, I think the thing that bugged me the most was that like, I love the new cameras they have and the different sh- uh, angles and drone shots. The, the place looks incredible and it does make you feel a bit uh, gives you a different feel for at the, the tournament uh, than you would on a regular week and that's a great thing. You're just you're not getting perspective of how the course is playing. They're not showing the guys in the few groups ahead of the final uh, groups, so you don't know how these holes are playing. You're seeing them for the first time on the day, and 
it just it it doesn't show you anything. You don't you don't know what to expect. Like that can build anticipation. Like oh my god, they're coming to that hole. Like four of the last five guys that have gone or six guys that have gone through there have all made bogey or struggled to make par. Like oh, this could be really exciting. And you then you don't get a perspective on how well the guys who are at the top of the leaderboard are actually playing the course and holes by not showing the the guys who are failing at it or the bad shots. It, it, they're just missing so much potential in in how they could in, in making the broadcast a better uh, product. I will stop now because I will not finish for so, so <laughs> until being, the batteries so being, run out. <laughs> so being serious, I didn't I didn't use it, but from the what you guys have told me post PGA Sunday coverage, the best product to use in a situation like that is the bet 365 shot tracker because it is pretty much the closest thing you'll get up to speed in terms of what's actually happening on the course it's that, miles ahead yeah 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 that's the best one i found if there's better out there we want to know if somebody knows of it like it but that mm. i mean for just a quick example ricky fowler finishing I'm, I'm actually really proud of the call on ricky fowler even though my bet got my place got chopped into four ninths Still take it. Yeah. Um, we did. We did. We did laugh at you, but yeah, yeah that was a good call. <laughs> so did a lot of. So did a lot of people are Ricky, but like, I mean, that's that's a big. I think that's a big moment for him. So yeah. hopefully, he can c- carry that momentum he has now. Uh, but like he, he finishing out, I needed him to make par to get the full place, and he had a twelve footer lipped out on eighteen. Okay, so be it. Wow, uh, woe was me. But it took five to six minutes for that to be shown on TV and also to be updated on the TV leaderboard and the PGA Championship app. I mean, that is just unacceptable. Mm. How, how, if, you had, if you were trading on Betfair, how the hell are you supposed to trade on the exchange when the data you're getting is minutes behind? Yep. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the only indication you've got is what's already happening on the exchange, which is going to be... You're too late. Yeah, yeah. You, you're reacting to... Um, stuff that's already been analysed and, uh, yeah. and bet on effectively. I'm just going through the top top uh, ties for fourth and above on the leaderboard, and then we'll move on. Paul Casey, I can remember Paul Casey almost winning the 2010 Open at St Andrews. Shane Lowry, reigning Open champion. Padraig Harrington, multiple Open champion. Brooks Kepka, I think he was third at the Open when Shane Lowry won. He, he can grind it, can't he, on the Lynx golf courses. Louis Oosthuizen, the 2010 Open champion. And Phil Mickelson, the 2013 Open champion. So there you go. There's so played many major like, champions up it, there as well. It, it, yeah, it played rather like an Open. Yeah. And, and experience packed, guys. packed full of experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a. It's it's hard to have perspective on this for Phil, but like this is an enormous win. Do you think it's like his biggest win ever? It's hard. It's hard to compare versus like fifteen years ago. But yeah, it feels you, massive. You always, you know, you ask ask the players or the players get asked these kind of questions uh, regularly, and the the kind of recency bias of having yeah. just won or having just experienced, you know, a fantastic win. Often sway theirs and you know uh, commentators and, and punters' opinions as to as to being the best, but um, it it was mightily impressive. Was would be my take on it, um, whether it's his best or not tonight. Yeah, yeah. This was, this was Paul's analysis. Soft and calm conditions. You have to go for youngsters. Firm and windy. You need experience. 
that kind no, of that was your you that know, was your, that was your analysis at five thirty yesterday morning. It kind yeah. of correlates with um, Open Championships, doesn't it? It's um, it's something that you know when the conditions on any of those kind of courses deteriorates a bit, then the guys that have got the experience, the guys that um, you know, don't worry so much when there's a uh, there's a bogey or a double bogey on the card, um, can can start to gravitate to the top. It's when they you get these see- birdie fests that um, you know yeah. the younger lads tend to tend to. But they also seem to flight their shots and shape their shots a bit more with the winds. They know what the conditions are dictating, whereas. Week on week on the PGA Tour, you don't usually deal with that much wind or winds that hits the no. ball that much. So they they kind of end up with their up. They just hit their optimized shots. They just f- yeah. Pop, you know, it's, pop. it's pin seeking virtually yeah. every shot, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's almost like a, they just revert to their cookie cutter uh, norm for their shot. And when they're faced with something a bit outside the uh, the bell curve, it it throws them. Uh, yeah, so look, I, I, it was an amazing win. I mean, it's this is a this is an interesting season because Sink has won a couple of times at age was a forty seven, forty eight. Phil's yep. now won a major at age fifty. Like, I, I are they breaking that kind of four minute mile for the older guys? Thinking, you know, maybe dawning on them. Yeah, I can still can win at this level. You know, it's not it's not quite as difficult as it mentally was perceived to be beforehand. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we see another couple of winners this year or, you know, even more than that, who are in the 40s. It yeah, just Lee depends Westwood, on the course. Westwood at the Open. Yeah, yeah, okay, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been saying this for months. This is happening. Clearly I won't back him and it'll happen, but... I'll, Phil I'll Mickle, you, you said about big. You said about biggest victory. I bet it was in terms of bank balance. He <laughs> earned two point one six million dollars. Phil Mickelson, Louis Oosthuizen, and Brooks Kepka finished tied for second. They both took home a cool one point zero five six million dollars each. It's good. For second, good consolation. Not bad, isn't it? Louis was so disappointing. So. One last thing before we move on to this week's tournaments. What do you make of Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka's little um, moment <laughs> on uh, TV that was gone viral on Twitter overnight? <laughs> ah, it's nice bit of humour to wake up to on a Tuesday morning. They don't like yeah. each other, do they? That's that much is what well, Brooks doesn't like Bryson. That much is clear. But... Yeah, yeah, good fun. I'd say Bryson just wants to give Brooks a big bear hug and just make it all right. <laughs> It's so funny watching how triggered Brooks gets by him. I mean, there's a very thin line between love and hate. That's all I'll say. <laughs> they will get paired Does, um, you know, by you know virtue of their leaderboard positions at some point soon, and that will yeah, be yeah. fascinating to watch. Does Phil Mickelson make the American Ryder Cup team? Has to. For me, has to. It would be such a failing if they don't put him on the team. Even if he's not the optimal player by the stats or whatever by that time in September or whenever they make their picks in like late August. I mean, how could you leave out a major champion of the year of the Ryder Cup and it's Phil Mickelson? Yeah. Yeah, he's got a DJ, bit, bit of work to do, isn't he? Gone. Got to say, he's 16th now in the ranking, so uh, it's... It's going to be a pick. Just, yeah, yeah. The, the just another couple six. of top 10s. Yeah. yeah. Just well, another top 10... Another major win, yeah, yeah. But like, if he just if he if he pops in one more top ten between now and then, and if the, even if that's in like all of July or August, how could you leave him out? 
there'd be uproar if they'd even made. And it's the Ryder Cup is a, a show. It's an entertainment product. It's not like the the battle for I don't know supremacy and something. You know, it's for entertainment. He there should be demands from the Europeans and the Americans for him to be picked. Dustin DeChambeau, JT, Kepka, Morikawa and Xander make up the six auto spots. Reed's at seven. Well, he'll get picked. Finau is at eight. Another top ten in a major this week, Baron. Yeah, yeah. Nine is my nemesis, Daniel Berger, who absolutely wet the bed in round one. Thank you, Daniel. I expect he probably wins this week at like something trivial like 16 to one. Webb Simpson at ten. You said this, Paul. Webb Simpson and and Whistling Straits. Whistling Straits, they don't really fit together that well, do they? Not really, no. If you if you were um, relying on a pick for Webb and look, trying to look at course fit, then uh, would that be one of the considerations? It's got it's, it's got it's got to be part of the consideration, you know, plan strategy at that point, isn't it? Well, I'm looking at that. The top six are clearly the top six. Reed's in, Finau be in, Berger. You can't say he's an auto. Uh, you can't say Simpson is, and Spieth will definitely get a pick. So there's nine spots taken. I expect if Simpson's in that top ten, you know he's going to get picked, isn't he? So there's ten. That leaves you with two spots. Like Barry says, Phil Mickelson is going to be difficult unless he completely and utterly falls off a cliff and misses the next seven cuts, mm. doesn't make a spot. And then you've got one of Patrick Cantlay, Daniel Berger, Billy Horschel, Scotty Scheffler, even Will Zalatoris. That that last like, spot's up for grabs. I, as far style. as I'm concerned, somebody can put their hand up like in a huge way between now and the, over the next couple of months. Yeah. Should we talk colonial? If we have to. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit like that. It's a bit like after the Lord Mayor show, but. <laughs> yeah. um, it feels that way, doesn't it? Two great tournaments, to be fair, on the PJ Tour. You got this, and then next week the Memorial Tournament, Jack's Tournament. So you know it's decent quality stuff. Two, um, two invitational status short field events. So 120 in the field this week and next week. So it's decent, decent quality. Um, Colonial Country Club, Fort Worth, Texas. We're dealing with a very classical, old-style 1930s design. Uh, 7,200 yards, only a par 72 par fives. And to make matters even worse for the players this week, they're some of the toughest par fives on the tour. So it does make this more of a... Who can who can actually play well on the, on the par fours? Um, and... You know, it isn't doesn't tend to be a scoring fest. It's a it's a proper tournament this week. Um, tends to be mid score that wins it, fourteen under something like that. I know Justin Rose won it a few years ago at was it twenty under par? Yeah, but it was dead soft and there was no famous Texas wind. Apart from that, Kisner won it at ten under. Uh, Nar, our friend Kevin Nar came from nowhere. I'm sure you'll be tipping him up this week, Paul. 13 under par. He won at 13s. Berger at 15s last year. And if you remember, this was the COVID busting opening resuming, resumption event on the PJ Tour last year. And it was literally a major. Everyone was here. 
pretty much. I can remember McElroy was there, DeChambeau, Xander. Uh, it was a really stacked field, DeChambeau. And, and Daniel Berger, of all people, won it. Whenever I put that guy up at a major, he is complete and utter dross. So he must he needs to, he needs to go on my Paul Casey. It sounds it sounds ridiculous. Isn't it? He has to go on my Paul Casey post it note. He does never, never back never back Casey at a major. That's what you always say, Barry. Isn't it? He got a place. Fair yeah. play to him. Oh yeah, tip, oh, tip oh I know. Cup. Yeah, yeah. You'd have been taking the piss out of me for not putting him up within three holes on Thursday. Yeah. You'd, you'd be doing rather well if you'd have backed him each way at uh, each of the last few majors. He's, he's, he's done all right, hasn't he? He has done all right. But he's not, See, he's maybe, not going maybe to win. He's this, yeah. But you always say you need to pack your team with a couple of each way sort of insurance guys. Mm. And that would have been Paul Casey, wouldn't it? What was he at? What, what odds? I think he was 60s or 66s, something like that. Mm. That's not bad. He's still hard to root for because you just know that the win equity is probably just not there at all. Yeah, I don't that's, that's my thoughts on it. Hey, listen, this isn't, I think this isn't scientific. I think, this is like emotionally. Yeah. You know, I'm not not a fan of backing him because I have burned so many times. So it's like, okay, you're on the X list. Oh, yeah. Well, do you remember at the Masters where he was the most popular bet of the week? And what do you think he did? He did absolutely nothing. And then the the major next, when virtually no one's on him, he plays quite nicely. <laughs> you got to love golf betting, don't you? Anyway, back to back to Colonial. Paul Paul Casey isn't actually playing. Um, seven, uh, it's, um, 5,000 square feet on average bent grass greens, but the rest of the course is pretty gnarly Bermuda grass. And that's, that gets commented about, um, quite a lot in terms of like around the green chip shops and the like, but the greens themselves are pure bent grass. They're A4 variety, six holes, um, with water hazards. It can't have that much water because Tony Finau almost won here. So um, that tends to go hand in hand. But that does actually show what we're dealing with here. Classical golf course. And I remember that you had Kevin Nahr in a head-to-head with Tony Finau and C.T. Pan that particular year. You know, if, you, if you're looking for opposites of golfing player, um, Finau and, and Nahr, they're pretty different from different polar opposites, really, in terms of their skill sets. But for me, when you look at this, I don't know, it just feels like, apart, Berger can putt, Kevin Nye is a phenomenal putter. Justin Rose was far more ball-strikey the year he won, although he was very positive on his putting. But it wasn't top 10 level putting. But the rest of it, Kevin Kisner, a proper... Putter Jordan Spieth won here in 2016 when he was at the peaks of his powers with the putter. Chris Kirk's another great um, putter. I'm trying to use a word that isn't putter. Uh, it's I don't know. I, th- I think it's like any typical classical golf course. Any style of golfer can win around here. Be that Boo Weekly <laughs> or be that Kevin Nahr. But over the last five years. It seems to be a situation where you need to be in the top 10 for strokes game putting the week that you actually win around here. So for me, I've kind of tried to get the balance of players that 
we know can actually putt reasonably well on bent grass. Because I think ultimately it will be one with the putter. Um, you look at the splits as well in terms of the strokes gained. 52%, 41%, 43% and 41% of the strokes gained across the last four or five renewals have been strokes gained putting across the total strokes gained of the winners. And that's a lot higher than you get at other courses. I remember um, we were talking about Quail Hollow a few weeks ago and, and I said that um, that again is another tournament where clearly it suits bombers. You've got to be long, long, long to win around Quail Hollow. And yeah, Rory McIlroy won. But he was first or second for strokes game putting. And that seems to happen a hell of a lot at Quail Hollow, where it's a red-hot putter that eventually wins. You get the same kind of vibe here. Spieth second for strokes game putting. Kisner third. Nah second. Daniel Berger last year was in the top eight for strokes game putting. And I put in my commentary... That kind of stat scares me stiff when I'm looking at someone like Corey Connors, who clearly has a top 10 here, will more than likely be in contention here, um, but hasn't finished in the top 10 for strokes game putting on tour since the 2020 Sony Open. So ultimately, it feels like you need, you're going to get your Morikawa's in the mix, your, your Connors and the Ilk, the Abraham Answers, who I'm just looking at Answers' price. I, I don't know if it's, you know, 20 to 1 on Answer to win his first PGA Tour victory. But I, I just get the gist that ultimately. A putter, someone that's got a red hot short stick, will eventually get over the line. Yeah, well, Answer's going to be a popular pick this week, isn't he? With his flying final round with seven under, wasn't he? On, well, on he's playing the best golf in the field, Paul. If you look over the last eight weeks, that's that's just fact. You know, sec, was he second to Rory at Quail? I mean, Quail Hollow doesn't suit him in any way, shape, or form. So to do that around there was. Phenomenal! You just can't argue with you know, guys playing great golf. Top twenty, uh, top strokes gained total last eight weeks. Colin Morikawa and Jordan Spieth are tied for first. Abe Hansa is tied for third with one Charlie Hoffman. And then Corey Connors at five, tied with Camille Vijegas. So if you're looking for strokes gained current form, they're the top six in the in the in the um, statistics right now. Vajegas is interesting, actually. He won the BMW Championship, his first PGA Tour title on Ben Grass, many moons ago in 08, when he did that BMW Tour Championship double. Yeah. His first two PGA Tour victories. But I always associate Camillo with Bermuda Grass. Well, yeah, he can, uh, he can putt both, can't he? I, I backed him first round leader a couple of weeks back, but he withdrew pre-event, and I've, I've not dug into no. since as to what the reason was with that. So... Is um, always one to consider for first round leader. He's that kind of player who, who can pop up far more regularly than um, than average. Um, I have to have a little dig after the show and see if I can find out what uh, what the reason for that withdrawal was a couple of weeks back. The other thing I've noticed about this place is I genuinely think that ultimately you want someone that's pretty straight off the tee. Top 20 for, grit, for driving accuracy, Berger, last year. Um, 
Kevin Nahr, 17th for driving accuracy the year he won. Justin Rose was top six. So Rose was long and straight, the perfect combo. Kevin Kisner was first for driving accuracy the year he won. And then, of course, you get to Jordan Spieth, who kind of blows all trends in many ways. He, he was virtually last for driving accuracy. But you do read a lot of player comments about flyers here. And if you're in that Bermuda grass rough that can be up to three, three and a half inches, it's virtually impossible to accurately control the flight of your ball. And that leads to problems on a golf course where proximity to hole is such a tangible statistic on these tiny greens, you know, 5,000 5, square feet. And if you're if you're finding you know that one in two of your approach shots are out of gnarly rough, it becomes a lot more difficult to get enough birdie opportunities. You kind of see that in the statistics around it. The other thing I did note, it looks like we got a little bit of wind in the forecast this week. Thursday looks kind of Kira Island strength, although we're in Fort Worth, Texas. But the wind here does get quite a factor, doesn't it? So I think we could be seeing 20 gusting 22, 25 mile an hour Thursday. And then there's going to be that nagging 15 mile an hour gust throughout the rest of the tournament. It's going to be roasting hot though. Weekend, we're looking proper 31, 33 degrees Celsius. Um, there's going to be a few sweats on. Yeah, well, the wind should keep them honest as well. So it should yeah should keep it down to that kind of mid mid scoring level rather than the Justin Rose twenty. There, there has been precipitation in the area recently, so I do think we're going to see a soft golf course to start with. But let's let's face facts when when you when you're seeing twenty nine, thirty, thirty one degrees Celsius temperatures, they're going to have to be water in those greens anyway. Otherwise, they'll cook and bake. So I expect soft, receptive greens pretty much throughout. They might just let them release at the weekend. And I think we're going to get plenty of cut in the fairways and they're just, they'll are just they quicken out because there's no rain in the forecast um, through the rest of the week. Should be a nice golf course. Is there anything, Barry, because you, you love your golf. Is there anything about this particular golf course you remember? Isn't there the... The horrible horseshoe is is the three holes on this one, I believe. I, yeah, I, 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 I struggle. I, I just I don't think you're you've really made it on tour as a course unless you have a stretch of holes that has a moniker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the, the the branding the branding opportunities are just so good, you know. Just a, a, hor- a, a horseshoe. <laughs> you're with so a cynical. Really, it's great. Yeah, I know a horseshoe with a really evil face, like. Um, <laughs> It's it just it, it just seems like a good test of golf and you, yeah. you're, you're, you know you can't I don't think it's a course you can't fake it around here this week you're gonna have to have no. everything pretty much uh, working quite well together so uh, not figure that it one out. One, <laughs> it isn't one of these places you can just use brute power to overcome. It's it's not your modern style of PGA to a golf course, which is good. Yeah, and as Kevin Nar said when he won in 2019, this is the kind of course where the short players are on full alert because they can grab a PGA to a victory. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's- and there aren't many courses like this where they're actually on a level playing field where it actually comes down to um, 
approach shots and skills around the green in terms of the putting and the chipping rather than just someone blasting it 350 on every hole and mm. you're 40 yards, 50 yards behind them. And this is kind of what like, I suppose you'd, you'd like to see is courses that allow different skill sets to compete uh, yep. and, and just find out who the actual best player of the week is. Yeah. I had, a, I had a look at... Wacky Neiman was one I had a good look at, but he's absolutely all over the place off the tee. Do you, you realise how low, how long Wacky Neiman is now? He's like top eight driving distance on tour. I mean, that is some metamorphosis for Wacky Neiman. He was plus but, 0.74 strokes gained off the tee last week. Yeah, Th- that could have been all distance, though. It was, I think. Okay. He he was nowhere near that in terms... And this is what I'm saying. I think he's like 100... He's like low 150s, almost 160s in terms of fairways actually found. And that put me off Neiman in the end. I tell you a guy that's driving the ball a lot straighter than he used to. Patrick Reed, And that's who I fell with. Putter. Tick. Bent grass. Masters champion. There is a huge, huge correlation with Augusta in here. Berger's had a top 10 at Augusta. Kevin Niles had a couple of top 12s. In fact, he was 12th a few weeks ago. Paul will mention that during his tip, I'm sure. Um, Justin Rose clearly has had a couple of runner-ups at Augusta. And then you get Jordan Spieth, and we don't really need to go down that route. Adam Scott's won here, and of course, he's he's an Augusta champion. And uh, Zach Johnson... Both a Masters champion and a Colonial champion times two. So yeah, Patrick Reed. The other thing I always think that this course kind of relates to is Wentworth over here in Europe. And when Reed's come over, hasn't he had a, a is it a second and a fourth or a third and a fourth when yeah, he's, he's had two visits to Wentworth? Yeah, he's, he's done well when he's um, when he's travelled over to Surrey and uh, yeah, it, yeah, Pilston. It uh, suits his eye by the looks of it. I just noticed with Reed, it's like last year he was he was down with the dead men in terms of accuracy. He was, um, I think he was like one sixty something for driving accuracy this year. Top sixty, top sixty five. So it looks like he's taken four or five miles an hour off the ultimate driving distance. So he's clearly just playing it a lot more conservatively off the tee, and deliberately he's found over five percent more fairways so far this season. Well, when you've got such a magical short game and the putter behaving as it has been for quite some time, then the more chances you give yourself, the, the better your scoring should be. It, it makes sense, particularly on this kind of track where par, par five scoring isn't going to be the be all and end all. As you said, there's only two par fives anyway, and they're pretty tough. So if you can find ways to make your, make your score on the par threes and par fours by keeping the ball in play and giving yourself chances, then um, it's got to be a viable way to to attack this track it's a great designed golf course you've got to hit lots of draws off the tee just some of the way the holes hit I like it there's a couple of cut shots he said this is Kevin Nye in 2019 I just aim for the middle of the fairway and then from that position in I'm one of the better players on tour were his comments from 2019 just that to me, and that logic just screamed Patrick Reed to me. And you look at the tournaments that Reed wins, 
they tend to be stacked, don't they? They tend to be high, high quality tournaments that literally turn him on. I mean, he, the last win was this year in January, the Farmers Insurance Open, which was stacked. Um, you then had a situation with him where he's won a World Golf Championship, a FedEx Cup playoff, a major championship, a FedEx Cup playoff, a short field tournament of champions and a World Golf Championship. They're his last seven wins. He doesn't kind of win... I don't know. I'm trying to think of a... He doesn't... He doesn't win like the tournament they have at Detroit. It, he'll come out and he he, he 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 tends to win bigger tournaments. And I I think this Invitational Status Tournament is in his home state of Texas when he's playing very very well. I think it, it suits Reed. Um, I've taken Chuck Hoffman, forty five to one a point each way. I got twenty two to one on Reed, two places each way, uh, two points each way with Paddy Power. Chuck Hoffman, yeah. I mean, that was obvious. He's in the top, did we say, the top four in this field for strokes gained current form at the moment. Yeah, playing some more stuff. And he was a feature last week, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was a feature last week. He, he, was, he, was, he was within that tied 10 group with another 35 players on Sunday night. And then he made a, I think he bogeyed 18 he was either 17 or 18. Came in in tied 17th. So Hoffman's in great nick. Another, I mean, you look at Hoffman. He's He's been first round leader at Augusta. He's been right in the heat of the battle come ends of Saturdays. And then it's Chuck Hoffman and on Sunday he melts away. But this kind of tournament, when he's in this good nick, it isn't exactly stacked full of top, top quality elite players. Yeah, there's a decent top end, but... He's in great Nick Hoffman. He really is. Four PGA Tour victories. He might take something from the elder statesman winning recently and you know players that haven't won for a while. There's been a lot of that going on this year. Wouldn't not be surprised to see Charlie Hoffman in the mix. And that Augusta link, he's got a great set of results at TPC Boston. Again, another course that links in really well with this, TPC Boston. So I just couldn't turn Hoffman down at that price either. Who have um, who have you guys gone for up towards the top of the market? You're talking um, to the wrong any. people. <laughs> well, now I've I've, well, I've, 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 I've backed one um, in that kind of bracket, and that's Justin Rose. And um, thirty to one, I thought was a fair price um, given. How what he's played? He's he's won here his third last time that he played here back uh, as you said after lockdown was his last 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 year. And he seems to be rounding into some form. Seventh at the Masters, um, eighth last week at the PGA Championship. The number that really caught me last week was he led the field for strokes gained putting, and that is pretty rare with Justin Rose. If he's putting well, taken to a track that he enjoys that suits his game, and he can have a very potent combination. In your preview, he tops that Bengrass wins um, yeah. stats. So seven wins on Bengrass on the PGA Tour over over the years. And yeah. it was only Lefty who made more birdies than him last week. He made 19 birdies over the course of the week, 16 of them over the weekend. He's, you know, he made a lot of mistakes, Justin Rose. Don't get me wrong, because otherwise he'd have won the golf tournament. Um, but um, 16 birdies on a track like Kira Island last week, it's got to give him a lot of confidence coming into this, particularly, as I say, with the uh, the putter working and leaving the field for strokes game putting. So, yeah, I, I thought 30-1 to one was 
was more than fair for Justin Rose. 8,900 on, on uh, DraftKings as well, which um, he'll find himself into a number of my teams this week, I think, of Justin Rose. But yeah, he's the only one near the, near the top end of the market that I've backed. Barry? <clears throat> I'm detoxing a little bit this week. I had a lot of... <laughs> I had way too many bets on last week. I kind of lost the run of myself. Worked out okay in the end, so happy days. But uh, you know, withdrawing a little bit on the volume. I I like the Rose shout that the putting was nuts last week. What was it? Eleven strokes he gained over the tournament. Yeah. Like, come on, huge. <laughs> Justin Rose. That is huge. He made five strokes on Sunday. So yeah, um, I'll have a look at that. The, the only one, and I didn't have any backup other than it just popped in my head, and then I went and dug into it, and uh, it backed it up that I, I'll go with it, was Harold Varner. So I'm going to just take a little flyer on him, first round leader and outright. Yeah, it does like, it does like a night at fast start as well, Varner. It's funny you mentioned Bavana. He was in the same group last year as Daniel Berger on Sunday. That shows you he likes the golf course, and of mm-hmm. course Berger went on to win that. So, oh, Harold Varner III—he's one of those, isn't he? He's—he's he's like addictive. You—you you, you get people that are addicted to backing certain players. Yeah, he always—he always looks perfect for the assignment, doesn't he, on something like this? Because he's such a great ball striker. What was I, I saw in your preview? He was a tied first round leader last year. Hmm. Yeah. Makes makes uh, makes sense. So there's there's something there to to grab onto, and uh, yeah, it, it's kind of it's just it's, seven under seven under sixty three. Yeah, tied it, with Justin Rose, first round leader. It feels like a nice detox bet. It's 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 outsider odds. If it fails, I'm like, oh well, so be it, and we'll just uh, we'll watch the week and just enjoy watching golf. Rose is just outside those automatic spots for a Team Europe, so he he knows that he's he's had a couple of top tens at majors this year, isn't he? So he's clearly showing enough to Harrington. You know, I, I can mix it at the biggest tournaments. It'd be perfect to. He's had a bit of a drought win wise, hasn't he? So I, I get the logic on Rose. A win, a win gets him in probably. Right? Yeah, yeah. From that from play the position, play, play of his name. Yeah, seventh and eighth at the Masters and PGA Championship over his last three starts. Is it? That's not too shabby, really, is it? Another player that I think is a genuine putter and is playing very, very nicely right now is Brant Schnedeker. So I've taken Schnedeker. 66-1 to with the full eight places, I believe. Um, Yeah, he's top seven last eight weeks, strokes gained, total. And it's interesting, the mix is actually, I think approach here is very, very important. If you look from a strokes gain perspective, um, off the T18, this is the winner's last five years, strokes gain off the T averages at 18th, strokes gain on approach 12th, strokes gain around the green 17th. It means just screaming all round game. Strokes gain T to green, the average position has been fourth, and then t- strokes gain putting top seven. So you've got to have a warm putter. It can't just be all tee to green. You need that putter to be firing as well. And Snedeker sits seventh strokes gained current form last eight weeks in this field. He's also in the top 20 for strokes gained tee to green. And as we know, 
when Snedeker's actually got control of his golf ball tee to green, you just know what he can do on the greens. He's top 11 currently strokes game putting in this field. And he was second here in 2015. And you look at a lot of Snedeker's wins, shorter tree-lined golf courses. And he doesn't mind a classical golf course win either. Two-time winner at Pebble Beach, two-time winner at Torrey Pines. The other thing I put in my tip He's outside the US Open field, and we know that Branch Snedeker and Torrey Pines is just a love affair. For him to get into that US Open, I think the only year he missed was 2012, going back to like 2008. He's been in the US Open consecutive years apart from one. I'd have thought that'd be a very motivating factor for Snedeker to try and get into that US Open field with the cutoffs. He won't want to be doing sectional qualifying like they're doing at the moment in Dallas, and it's got rained off after 18 holes, and they've still got to turn up again. There's a lot in the field this week that are having to play sectional qualifying for the US Open today over in Dallas because it got rained off. Or they it's got rained off part way through. So I'm on Snedeker. I think he's a decent shout this week. And at that kind of price point as well, you just got to love what Matt Wallace is doing at the moment. I just think he's playing outstanding golf. And we've said, you know, I was on him when he was leader at Quail Hollow. Um, he was right at the t- right in the firing line, wasn't he, at um, Harbour Town uh, going into Sunday. Um, he's got top three finishes at Bethpage Black. Um, he's played well at the Memorial Tournament last year, where I think he got in the top five. And I think that now that his PGA Tour card is pretty much secured, we know that he's the kind of player that wins on the European Tour. He's not afraid of winning, Matt Wallace. And I think he's really got the bit between his teeth to get force himself into that Team Europe in the Ryder Cup. And, and an opportunity like this week um, is, is, is a great opportunity. You look at his... These are season-long numbers for Matt Wallace. Season-long. Tenth for approach... 14th for tee to green, top 60 for strokes game putting. And he's actually 14th on the PGA Tour this season for strokes game total. Phenomenal numbers. 66 to 1 I got with Bet Fred's eight places each way. Yeah, he certainly seems to be finding his feet at PGA Tour level, doesn't he? He's, um, he's more and more comfortable with every passing week. So I don't think it'll be too long before he does get that win over, over stateside. I think course experience is important here, but he did have a look here last year. He came over first out, you know, it must have been awkward, and he's leaving the UK, flying over there. We, you can remember that time; it was it was chaos, wasn't it? And he missed the cut, but at least he was he'd have been there all tournament week. He'd have played the course a few times, so at least he know has an understanding for what he's facing this week. And he must have liked it, otherwise he wouldn't have come back. So, um, you also said that that last win in Europe, the one at. at Made Silky in Denmark, Borg, yeah, Fair, yeah, Silky Borg. And when you look at the the visuals of that golf course, that was incredibly tight and tree lined. Yeah, it was a bit bent, a bit wet bent grass greens. Yeah. I, I think I it, thinking back to my previews, I kind of correlated it to a um, to a, a UK Heathland track, you know, similar to a Wentworth type of type of uh, setup, and uh, that fits nicely with Colonial. Um, when we used to have mm. the Colonial and Wentworth. Um, events both in the same week it was an interesting dynamic wasn't it we had two very Very similar similar kind of courses with similar grasses with similar 
similar demands running on the same week, but uh, that's that's changed given the uh, scheduling changes on the European tour. But yes, going back to Wallace, that that would correlate quite nicely that uh, success over in Denmark, what in twenty eighteen, I think it was. The other one I threw at the plan, one hundred and fifty to one, I managed to get eight places each way again with Betfred. Got some good prices this week, Betfred. CT Pan, and I know that you've mentioned him recently, Paul. Um, and for good good reason, third at the Honda Classic, 20th at Riviera Country Club. He was 18th last time out at Quail Hollow. 18th, 7,600-yard Quail Hollow. And don't forget, CT finished seventh last November at Augusta National in the Masters. Yeah, he did. And you just look, he's finished second at Torrey Pines of all places. And this guy, you know, he's a, he's a 290 hitter with a golf ball. He's five foot six. He's all, you know, he's a he's a little waif of of a of a player but he can get the ball out the plus 290 but you know it's just this there's a list of you know third at tpc boston i mean that's a bomber's course and he you know he, he, he he's got results on courses that correlate very closely to colonial and you top that off he was third here in 2019 the year that nar won and Finau was second so he's been playing some nice stuff and pan um accurate enough off the tee Excellent approach shots when he's on form. And we saw at the Honda Classic when he finished third a couple of months ago, the putter, some of his putting has been atrocious, but actually he was in the top 10 for putting that particular week. And that makes him a real danger. So yeah, 151 on Pam. So I went Pam, Wallace, Schnedeker, Charlie Hoffman and Patrick Reed. Throw some more names at it, the, the guys that you've backed, and we'll move on to the Maid in Himmerland. Yeah, the, the other one for me, um, as you've alluded to a couple of times, is Kevin Nahr, who uh, this is the kind of course, this is the kind of event that he, he targets. You know, he's been quite vocal about the fact that he looks at the schedule. Some events he knows he's going to be able to compete at, some that he can't. He won the Sony Open earlier this year. That was one that he targeted. He missed the cut badly last week at, at, um, at Keir Island on a track that he's never going to suit Kevin Nahr. So... The fact that he's coming to this off the back of a miscut doesn't bother me in the slightest. There's some better form if you go back um, since that Sony Open win. Um, he was 11th at the Workday Championship, WGC level. Uh, 12th at the Masters, which you mentioned a few minutes ago, Steve. Yep. And yeah, he's do, doing all right. I think he's finished there three times, Paul. 12th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's got a decent enough record on that. You know, and again, that's another track that um, should just be outside of his comfort zone, really. Um, fantastic record here. He's won here, as you said. He's got a couple of top 10 finishes as well. I thought 66 to 1, um, 8,400 on, on DraftKings was another um, ex winner on this track who mm. I think has got a good chance of uh, performing well again this week. So, yeah, only Rosen to Nar for me. Um, in terms of first round leaders, I once the draw comes out, one that caught my eye is Rafa Cabrera Bello. Yeah. Who, um, yeah, it's been been off the boil a bit, but um, showed some form at the Byron Nelson. A couple of good strong rounds there. Twenty, sorry, um, he was six, shot sixty four after the first round and was third after after eighteen holes. He shot another sixty six mm. in round three, so it was in decent spot after after three rounds. And uh, yeah. finished twenty third here at Colonial on his debut last year, with four decent rounds in the sixties. So I think he can improve on that. He should be somewhere in the in the kind of one hundred and fifty to one bracket for. The first round leader and he's that is that sort that Varno Barry, Barry mentions another one and uh, very much like uh, Cabrera Bello who you can often see 
getting off to a fast start on these events. So, yeah, I'll take a look at the draw, see where he sits, and um, if it all computes, then he'll be on my back list for that. Uh, that 100, 125 to 1 RCB. Yeah. First yeah, round leader. Yeah, this, there should be a few more bookies come up, so we may squeak a 150 out of it, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Any others for you, Barry? No, let's get over to Denmark. I think we, we need to talk about a super long shot that is going to do some business for us this week, we hope. You reckon? Yeah. We live in eternal hope, Barry. Yeah, the Maiden Himmeland. We're back uh, back on the on the European tour after the uh, after the break for the PGA Championship. Heading north from the Canary Islands, where we were for the previous three weeks, to Denmark. Um, for course history and course form students, we're looking at what used to be called the Maiden Denmark, now the now the Maiden Himmeland. Subtle change to the title, but essentially it's the same track that the Maiden Denmark used from 2014 to 2017 and also 2019. If you're looking at the event history, 2018 is that event that we just mentioned for Matt Wallace, actually, the Silky Borg um, event. So that was on a different track, but 24 to 2017 inclusive and 2019 were all played here at Himmeland. Full field, 156 players, nine of whom are coming straight back from Keogh Island. Three of them made the cut, actually. Jason Scrivener was 23rd, Bob McIntyre, 49th, Rasmus Hogard was 79th. The rest are Aaron Rye, Andy Sullivan, Bernd Wiesberger, Brandon Stone, Kurt Kitziarm and Thomas Detry all missed the cut. They're all flying directly over to... Uh, to Denmark for this week's event. Um, that's not really put the bookies off, though. Many of those players, despite missing the cut or poor performances, um, are pretty prominent in the betting. So Bob McIntyre heads the market 12 to 1. Bernd Wiesberger, 20 to 1, is defending effectively from the 2019 event. It wasn't a 2020, it was cancelled due to the. Uh, Due to the pandemic, Matthias Schwab, 25 to 1. Tjorbjorn Olsen playing on home soil, 28 to 1. Andy Sullivan, 30 to 1. Then you've got the likes of Rasmus, Justin Harding, Callum Hill has been prominent over the last few weeks. Eddie Pepper was rounding into form as well. Um, Beef, Johnston, JB Hansen, all 33 to 1. Thomas Detry, 35, 40 to 1, bar those players. Worth noting that Labrooks and Coral are both eight places each way, a fifth of the odds this week on the Made in Himmeland, which is the best odds available, or the best um, best each-way terms available in the market at the moment. And, um, just to mention on yours, Steve, it was Boyle Sports who'd gone 10 places each-way, fifth of the odds from memory. Yeah, Boyle's 10, and yeah, 10. Uh, Ladbrokes and Coral both eight places each-way, and Betfred eight place, places each-way as well. And uh, it was interesting with Paddy Power this week, eight places each-way on Paddy Power. But um, I believe there are only seven places on Betfair Sportsbook, which is mm. the first time I've ever seen that differential across Betfair Sportsbook and Paddy Power. Yeah, yeah, but maybe, maybe a change of strategy with that. Uh, those yeah. two brands that clearly run out of the uh, of the same uh, umbrella company. But uh, but yeah, yeah, across the across the two um, across the two events, Labrooks and Cole both eight places each way, fifth of the odds. So well worth a look, particularly if you're doing cross doubles on both events as well. Uh, the track itself, the back tee course at Himalayan Golf and Spa Resort. It's an exposed track. It's got linksy kind of features. Um, it can stretch to 7,400 yards uh, playing from its tips, but 
it played at around 6,850 the last two times we came here. It's listed on the European Tour website at 6,751 yards for a par of 71. So I'm expecting to play pretty much at that kind of level rather than the uh, the full 7,400 yards. But we shall see. There are five tees per hole. So um, the organisers have got the option to, uh, to extend or contract the course as they see fit, which they'll often do because of the, uh, because of the wind. If, the, if it's windy around here, they can adjust the holes, much as we saw last week at Keir Island, to, to suit, the, uh, suit the conditions. Uh, there was a 2012 renovation here, new bunkering, A4 bent grass greens put throughout the course. So it's, uh, it's pretty much up to speed nowadays. It's been around for a few years, but that 2012 renovation brought it back up to a up to a level and um, previous winners 2014 mark warren won at 30 to 1 uh, 2015 david horsey at 80 to 1 2016 thomas peters at 12 to 1 2017 julian suri at 60 to 1 2018 was that matt wallace um win at silky borg so uh, bear that in mind if you're looking at that stat he was 40 to 1 uh, we were on in that week when he absolutely tore up the final few holes and uh, came from a seemingly lost position to win that event in a playoff. Um, exhilarating stuff that was. I really enjoyed that event. Um, 2019, Burnt Wiesberger won at 70-1. to 1. Um, And uh, really, you're looking at the mid-teens to be a winning score, winning target here. Thomas Peters was 17 under. Burnt Wiesberger last time was 14 under. It's only when the wind blows that it gets tougher. Mark Warren won at nine under back in 2014. And looking at the forecast, 10 to 15 miles an hour on Thursday and Sunday. Um, otherwise pretty pleasant mid-60s Fahrenheit. But back to Barry's point earlier on, these tracks that are exposed um, to the elements and that rely on um, on the wind to, to protect the course, if there is any wind in the forecast, it tends to be accentuated. So 10 to 15 miles an hour. I think the, the players will notice that. I think that they'll see... Uh, uh, they'll, they'll notice that there's, uh, there's some wind around, particularly on Thursday and potentially on Sunday as well. Uh, if you look back through the events that have been held here, it's tended to be the decent putters or players who've putted well in the week who've been uh, been the winners, and that's been the deciding factor. Uh, Warren was third for putting average. David Horsey was 10th. Thomas Peters was second. Even Bernd Wiesberger was first for putting average. There were no stats captured for Julian Sury's win because he was a... He was predominantly a challenge tour player when he came and won here back in 2017. Uh, if you look at the strokes gained data as well, that backs it up from 2019. We've only got 2019 in terms of strokes gained data, but um, a lot of the top eight were in the top kind of 10 or so for strokes gained putting on the week as well. So um, hot putters or players coming in with some form with the, with the putter um, and linking that to players who play well on linksy kind of tracks, coastal tracks, exposed tracks, the kind of, Thing that we'll expect to see here this week. Um, other than that, there's not a great deal to go on. There's only the you know the handful of events that have been held here in the past. Um, so even the players that have won here have had particularly patchy history in terms of the uh, in terms of the course and their incoming form as well. The incoming form of the winners here has been pretty patchy too. So there's you know it's, it's not one of those events where you can get too hung up I don't think on course form and current form combinations which lends itself to a, a, a decent price winner I mean I, I read through the top of the market before but I've not gone anywhere near the top of the market I've um, the first player I backed was Ryan Fox who when I put him up yesterday was 45 to 1 he's been he's been put up in a few places so 
you might find it goes off closer to 33s and there's still a bit of 40 to one available at the moment but you melted the market paul with your big bet (laughs) yeah it's this i put him up at 45s and there were still two or three bookies to, to come and uh and he promptly went out at 50 to 1 with a couple of who came up late. And then uh, I'd say he got tipped up as well. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, I, I, the sea of blue now, I expect 33s would be the kind of number. But even so, you know, I think that's a decent bet. He's the kind of player who absolutely loves this sort of track. And we've seen the best of his golf on the, on the Lynx swing over um, in the UK um, and Ireland ahead of the Open Championship over the last few years. 2017, he was sixth at uh, the Open to France, which is kind of an inland, you know, linksy kind of track with a linksy feel of it in places. Fourth at the Irish Open, fourth at the Scottish Open in 2017. 2018, he was second at the Irish Open and eighth at the Scottish Open. So some decent uh, uh, records on um, on the kind of correlating course forms. He won the Super Six in Perth, which is another kind of wind-affected track over there in Australia. Second at the Vic Open last year at 13th Beach was another coastal, linksy-style track. Uh, last time we saw him on the European Tour, he was sixth at the Saudi International, a much stronger field than this. But since then, he's gone back home. He's had a baby daughter. Um, he's been playing on the New Zealand Tour, and he won back-to-back events on the New Zealand Tour last month, 25-under, 23-under, just keeping his keeping his game nice and sharp heading into this week and those results won't appear in any of your current form stats they, they didn't attract any world ranking points so they're kind of under the radar but um, you know he was overjoyed to win those two events um, one by seven shots the other by three shots in some decent fields with some you know some regular uh, Australasian tour players that, uh, that were, were nowhere near him on the leaderboards so he's playing some good good stuff and uh, got that baby swag as well I think, uh, I think he's got a great chance this week to get that second European Tour win on a on a track that absolutely suits him down to the ground um, likewise another, the track suits um, another uh, player who's come from uh, from that kind of neck of the woods that's Minwoo Lee um, the young Australian um, and uh, you know, if you're looking at the likes of uh, Richard Bland and uh, and Lefty flying the flag for the elders over the last couple of weeks, then Minwoo Lee can uh, can come back and restore some kind of normality here. Um, after we saw Garrick Higo, who's 22, same age as Minwoo, um, had won two of the previous three events before the uh, PGA Championship. Uh, we talked about the Vic Open a second ago over at 13th Beach. He won that. He was the player who beat uh, Ryan Fox last year. And uh, that was on a coastal track, kind of linksy test. And it makes sense that uh, Minwoo Lee would play well in that kind of setup. He was brought up in Perth. He had to master that low stinger shot from an early age to keep the ball out of the wind. And that's put him in good stead. It's it was something that really came to the fore when he played at uh, Perth, um, also at uh, the Vic Open last year. And something that whenever the wind does pick up, he can employ as part of his part of his arsenal. A couple of top tens in Perth at the Perth um, uh, Super Six over the years. Fourth at the Saudi International last year, another coastal track, and uh, some decent enough form recently. That that win at the Vic Open got him into the WGC concession. He finished twenty eighth there. The putter that week was absolutely spot on. And his last start a couple of weeks back at the Belfry he was twenty first after a slow start. So. Um, shook the rust off, primed and ready for this week, I think. Min Woo Lee. Uh, and then three at longer prices. First up, Julian Suri, quite straightforward this one. Um, 100 to 1, he won here. 
back in 2017. That's his only win on the European Tour today. And uh, we kind of thought he was going to push on from there. He was, he was flirting on the edge of the, uh, the world top 50s at that point. Some decent uh, performances and some big high-profile events at the back end of that year in 2017 on the European Tour. But had some health problems, had to have a hernia operation in the end and took him some time to recover from that. And it's only recently that we've started to see some flashes of form again. He was... Um, he shot 64 in Gran Canaria after the first round, uh, 65 in round three at Tenerife, and he was ninth going into Sunday that week. And uh, he shot 68 to open and another 68 to close at the Belfry on his last start, finished 21st. And if you look at the various aspects, strokes gained aspects of his game over those events, every part of his game at various points is fired. So he puts that all together back on the track that um, he has performed well on his one and only, well, we won on his one and only visit here then. Then I think uh, 100 to 1 is a, a more than a fair price for Julian Suri. Then a couple more. The one that Barry alluded to, Paul Dunn, I've backed at 300 to 1. And he's another player that's looking to return after injury. He had hand surgery, um, not last winter, the winter before, um, which uh, had been nagging away at him for a while. And, uh, and it, it, the fact that everyone was locked down for that period of time gave it a good chance to heal. And he's now looking to rediscover that form that we saw when he won the British Masters. He's a far more capable player than his world ranking. He's outside the top 1,000 in the world at the moment. Far, far more capable player than that. We're starting to see a few signs of life. 33, 33rd in Australia, um, Austria rather, at the Diamond Country Club, 45th in Tenerife, 52nd at the Belfry last time. Um, none particularly stand out in terms of their overall finishing positions, but within that there was some encouraging signs, some good rounds. Second and seventh strokes game putting on his last two starts. And he comes back to a track that he's had some considerable success on. His last top 10 on the European Tour was here at Himmeland. And overall form of 10th, 14th, 4th suggests that the track suits his game. And then that makes sense. You know, he's the kind of player who needs a bit of width from off the tee. Exposed tracks work. But if he can get um, to a point where he's using his wedge and his fantastic short game and putting, then he can make an awful lot of birdies. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Paul Dunn really have a decent week here at a mad price, 300 to 1. We missed the 250s on for 300s on Phil last week, but we're getting it this week with Dunner. Absolutely. He's going he's gonna to redeem everything for us, Barry. And I, I've just I'll, I'll I've bite taken, your hand off for a place now. <laughs> I've just taken 250 on the machine. Yeah, he's oh. been, another one he's been backed in a little bit. I got 300 to 1 with Labrooks yesterday, eight places each way, but um, there's, there's been a few nibbles in on Paul Dunn. And quite rightly so as well. I think there's been enough signs of life and... Uh, decent course history to uh, to suggest he's got a better chance than that. Oh, finally, the other one I backed is Chris Wood, another player who's kind of fallen mm. from grace over the, the last few years. Uh, former BMW PGA champion. He's uh, another one who slipped outside the top 1,000. That was before he finished 11th at the Belfry on his last start. Um, he's got a new coach, Alan Thompson, who's been working with Tommy Fleetwood for with some time. And the results are starting to come now. 21st in Austria, where he led the field for strokes gained approach. 11th at the Belfry, I just mentioned, third for strokes game putting. And if you look back through his history in terms of coastal or linksy type tracks or anything that correlates with this, two top fives at the Open, one of them where he was low amateur, um, he's second at the Golf National, second at the Dutch behind Ashen Wu when we backed him that week. 
Uh, he's won a Doha Qatar Masters where um, you could always correlate that well with uh, Linksy style tracks. He enjoys this kind of terrain, simple as that. And, uh, and another that he's still slightly below the radar, but um, 175 to 1. I thought it was well worth taking. So Chris Wood, 175. Paul Dunn, 300. Julian Suri, 100 to 1. Minwoo Lee, 80 to 1. Ryan Fox, 45s yesterday, nibbled in a bit. I've also done the Fox and Rose each way double. Sounds like a pub, doesn't it? Fox and Rose. The Fox and Rose each way double for this week is my big life changer, which um, we'll be looking at. Who's your fade of the week? My fade of the week would be the favourite. I'm being brave here this week. I'm the favourite Bob McIntyre. I don't think I don't think Bob's going to be up for this. Um, I don't know if he caught any of his um, caught any of his interview at the end, but um, he, he basically was saying he wanted to go home, but um, he couldn't because he's got to come over and play in Denmark this week. So um, he didn't seem overly bothered about the fact that he's got to come over and play this uh, play this event. So um, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that as the favourite, clear favourite for this event. Um, he's going to come and tear up any trees. So, yeah, I'll stick my neck on the line and uh, I'm going nowhere near Robert McIntyre this week. Hmm. Any, uh, any other fancies from you two? Um, Eddie Pepperell. Mm-hmm. As a bet or a fade? No, Eddie Pepperell, as a bet. Second and fifth for approach, last two outings. Twelfth in Canary. Eleventh uh, of the British Masters at the Belfry. He was fifteenth for T to Green there at the Belfry, and sixth at the Canary Islands Championship. And you, you, you know, coastal golf, yeah, Northern European, thirty-three to one. He just seems a bit more um, energized on Twitter as well, saying that he needs to be playing regularly because if he doesn't play regularly, he's crap. Yeah, just seems to be more engaged now that things are opening up. So yeah, Eddie Pepperell. I think he's a half decent shout this week. Yeah, he's been uh, been playing with his uh, girlfriend on the bag as well, hasn't he? And led uh, led the field for um, greens in regulation back in Tenerife, which did catch the eye as well. Mm. So yeah, there's 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 a lot to like with Eddie. Um, I, I don't think I'd put anyone off back again. And um, I'd already gone down the route of back in five at that point, but uh, he was well on the radar. Um, the other one who was well on the radar was Alexander Bjork. Who um, could um, could go well at the, a similar kind of price to uh, to Minwoo Lee around about the eighty to one chance or price point? Any youth back, Barry? Uh, a small little bet on Eduardo Molinari after his putting mm. woes the last time out. I figure he's kind of got that uh, mindset where he'll have been beating himself up, I'd say, <laughs> trying to get the putter working. So. He's 100 to 1. I just took a, a little small half a point bet on that. Um, is, yeah. There's a, a few of these established names percolating. He's one, isn't he? He's going to, yeah. I mean, you wonder. And like Paul said, Chris Wood's another. He, he's, he's, he's producing some good numbers at the moment, Wood. Yeah, mm. I wonder if just it, you know, if Mickelson winning, you know, shows that the elder, it's like the elder guys can do it. Dodo's now 40 years old. He was fuming after um, the Belfry. He, the putter was not cooperating. So, you know what? He could, he could find it. He might not. But that's the 100 to 1 life, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It, it was a particularly poor putting performance. But 
It's funny with Eduardo, isn't it? You know, historically, he was always the better putter of the two brothers. And um, he's worked a lot on his long game and he's, you know, he's, he's pulled that round, but his putter can still um, still let him down from time to time. And it, you know, if, if he finds that, then uh, he's, I think he's still got the guile to win a... Yeah, when, when these and, golf tournaments. And the other kind of, uh, let's say, link or connection to the bet is we really fancy Dunner this week. And mm. the last time, or I remember Dodo pretty much stealing a tournament from Dunner. Well, what, where was it again? Morocco, yes. Morocco, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was brutal because we, we were on Dunner that week at some pretty juicy odds. So this is time for the whole thing to come full circle. I'll get the place return on Dodo and the win on Dunner. And then, on, you know, Sunday evening will be a nice, uh, happy watch of the Charles Schwab. Uh, that's a deal, Barry. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your lay of the week at the Colonial, Steve? Phil Mickelson. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, you don't oh. think you'll be up for him? Uh, dear, I thought he's quite high on his high octane coffee right now. Um, at the top, uh, um, Justin Thomas. He's in trouble, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's in a mess. They always say, I always remember Thomas as a buccaneering, you know, strong putter in the early days. He was, he just had the game. He, he could putt brilliantly. He had the full gamut. But it's this these putting woes have severely got into his head. But when he starts to spiral on the golf course, he can't seem to stop it. It just it just unravels so quickly. I want I, it just it makes you question: Can he really grind out those uh, those tough moments? I mean, he, when he's flying, all, all things are rosy, and he just you can't miss. But it seems to be one of the two extremes. There's no kind of mid mid section grinding that he has, or ability to. To kind of just level things out and balance them for a few holes. But I'll, I'll 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 get shot down for this. There'll be a load of abuse. But you look at you when you look at the top six. I mean Brooks Kepka. I mean what that guy did last week on one knee is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. I think he's a major auto bet moving forward. Kepka. If you if you can get him at anything above twenty to one, you've just got to bang him in there. He's just unbelievable, Kepka. He's an animal. But JT's kind of the reverse to that. JT is a phenomenal PGA Tour golfer. Absolutely phenomenal. But at the majors, yeah, I know he's won a major. But consistency-wise, there's a lot of bad results in there. And never really seems to contend that much in majors. Or if he does, he falls away over the weekend. It's only very recent, though. He, he's certainly no, you know, no open championship. There's no way I'd be backing JT for the sandwich open championship. It just doesn't seem to have that grinding mentality, like you said. He's not a US Open sort, is he? He's 23 majors played. He has five top tens. Yeah, and that's a guy that's going off at 10 and 11 to 1 in majors mm. a lot of the time. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I'm saying, of that top six. It's just a, it's a, it's an auto-dodge, isn't it? Mm. At the moment, yeah. Yeah, unless you unless you start seeing yeah seeing some serious stuff. But yeah, if you I mean you you go back to the Masters last year. His next what five starts where he made the cut, he finished in terms of his putting average ranking sixth, fourth, sixth, third, sixth for putting average on those um, next well, the, the, the five events from the Masters in November. So at that point, absolutely nothing wrong with the putter. 
Um, 14th for putting when he won the uh, the Players' Championship. 17th for putting at Augusta this, this year. It's just fallen off a cliff very, very recently. And uh, the confidence has just disappeared. And until that comes back, I'm with you. I, I, I wouldn't go near him. But it will come back because he's, he's too good for that. He'll, he'll find the solution mm. and uh, he'll pop back to form. But um, I'd like to see a little bit of a sign of that before uh, investing any money, I think. JT is shorter right now with Bet365 for the US Open than Brooks Kepka. Like That's absurd. I just don't understand that. But it's true. Kepka's a 16-1 to one shout. They're terrified of JT, the bookies. Mm. Yep. I think that's us done, isn't it? Indeed. Um, we are not producing a podcast next week. Paul and I are actually having a few days off. I know it's um, it's unbelievable. We're actually enjoying time with our families. And I'm camping. I mean, I can't wait. Camping. <laughs> <laughs> I just cannot wait for that. Pray for the weather, um, Yeah, no Wi-Fi, nothing. I'll be in a blackout zone under canvas in probably three feet of water. But... um. So no podcast next week. We will be producing, though, all of our content at Golf Betting System. So all of the tournament stats, our previews, everything's there. The predictors will be there. But there won't be um, a golf betting show on YouTube and there won't be a podcast. We'll be back the week after. So um, if any of you guys are also going on a vacation, I wish you the, uh, the very best. I also wish you the best of luck with your bets this week and to you two gents as well. Yeah. Good luck, everybody. Good luck. We'll uh, see you again soon. Goodbye. If you like betting on golf, but everyone that you back misses the cut, get some experts involved with all the stats and the tips and so much more. Cause it's the golf betting system. The golf betting system is the golf. Bad insist on podcast.